Hi, this is Caleb James. I'm the creator and host of the Drunken Pen Writing Podcast. I'm speaking to you from December 2021. If you're listening to this first episode, that means you're interested in our niche writing podcast. The reason I added this intro is to let you know that if you're planning to listen to the DPW podcast in order, the first batch of episodes are pretty rough in audio quality, and that's putting it nicely. In actuality, we had no idea what the hell we were doing when we first started. We had an awful, open and noisy space that we recorded in, we weren't good at speaking, and we had very little idea how to edit the episodes properly. But I just wanted to ask that you please stick it out because the episodes get much better. By 2021, we built an actual podcast studio and invested in better equipment. If you want, you can listen to a newer episode to compare to these first ones. Now, I've thought about going back and remastering all the original episodes, but honestly, I kind of like having them as a reference for how far we've come and how much we've improved over the years. Anyway, I thank you for listening and hope you give the podcast a chance. We really do cover a lot of fun topics, have the occasional guest, and have plenty of long-running gags. So, happy listening. Cheers. Hey there, folks. This is the Drunken Pen Writing Podcast. In today's episode, we go over exactly who we are, why we write, what got us into writing, and why you should write too. I must admit, I am a little inebriated right now, but nowhere as I was when we recorded this episode. So I thank you for listening, and forewarning, there is strong language ahead. Enjoy. Hello folks, welcome to the Drunken Pen Writing Podcast. I'm your host and the Drunken Pen Writing Editor-in-Chief, Caleb James. With me today is my co-host and the Associate Editor of Drunken Pen Writing, Spencer Church. Hello. Today, this is our inaugural episode, so I decided we would discuss why we write and why you should write. Because after all, that's what we're all about. Now, what are we drinking? What do you got there, Spencer? Uh, What's the name of this that we're we're throwing down here now? Got a fine Highland Park 12 Viking Honor Edition. Anything Vikings worth drinking on, you know. That was my reasoning behind buying it. A single malt scotch whiskey at 43% alcohol by volume. Now, I'm not much of a scotch guy normally. I'm more of a bourbon and sometimes a rye fan, but you can't go wrong with a good scotch. It doesn't make you feel fancy drinking it, like... Oh, you have the nice little tulip crystal glasses, and... The only thing we're missing are, like, huge cigars, like... Yeah, need gigantic cigars, but that'll probably turn to blunts, and <laughs> before you know it, we got our Rastafarian vibe going on. Nothing wrong with that. No, not at all. Also, we are brought to you by the word of the day, and the word of the day is boisterous, which means of a person, event, or behavior... Noisy, energetic, and cheerful, rowdy. Well, we are a rowdy bunch. Sounds like us. Yeah, rowdy. I don't. I don't. I think more like sexual deviant. <laughs> <laughs> well, that wasn't part of the word of the day. Like maybe next week. <laughs> well, seeing as this is our first episode, I figure a good idea would be to discuss who we are and what we do for the fans who haven't followed us over the last year. We created Drunken Pen Writing just as a means to share work because I found, at least in my personal life, I did a lot of freelance work for a few years and you get paid dick for the most part. You do a lot of writing about articles and whatnot that you don't enjoy 
and then it's always one job to the next and it's just, it's just not very fun and I got sick and tired of doing that so I started getting more serious about like fiction writing and as I did that I went into submitting to various publications and trying to just get my name out there the problem with the fiction publications and the literary publications they look for a specific type of people generally it's just it's a hard racket to get into at first when you don't have a name so I wanted to create a website where lesser known or unknown authors can have a little shine you know try to get your name out there have a place to show your work in a forum where people could find out more about you instead of the like a lot of these literary publications you have to pay to submit work which i think yeah. is bullshit yeah i mean it's like if you're paying for a reading fee and who's to say these people they read the first paragraph they don't enjoy it or it's not what they like they just they're done yeah and you spent twenty dollars or five bucks or whatever it is that, that's just it's not right so drunken pen writing is all about celebrating writers and not just writers we do a lot of stuff with comics and artists and different creators and it's just good to give the storytelling in- yeah basically. storytelling that's what we like good storytelling in any form exactly and you just want to give people just the, that chance I, I started writing at a young age so i remember my mom gave me like an old typewriter in middle school that sounds cool yeah I mean, it was definitely interesting. Clink! It was definitely more writerly, but um, the problem with that was, like, in middle school, everyone was starting to get computers. Yeah. So. Do you wish you had it now? Could you imagine trying to write, like, a story on it now? It's a pain in the ass to edit. <laughs> oh, yeah. But back then, we would have assignments for school, and. Everyone, they would just write it on their computers at home, print it out. Well, here I fucking had to type it up, edit it, and then you have to retype it up again or use whiteout. Now, I did eventually get a fancier typewriter that had a whiteout button. Ooh. You hit it and it smeared whiteout on it, and then you could write over it. It looked like shit, <laughs> but it, it got the job done. What that taught me, you had to choose your words carefully, and you really had to build your vocabulary and spelling. Oh, that would be, see, that would be, that's why typewriters would be terrible for me, <laughs> is my spelling is atrocious, I always have to go back and fix things after I get done with, like, the first draft of the story, so, like, typewriting I, would be terrible for me. I think the downfall of the American writer, and pre- probably other places too, but it definitely seems like American writers suffer from this the worst, fucking spell check. Yeah. Because, I you, mean, it's night, like, for me... If I'm on a, in a zone and I got a good writing streak going on, I'll just I'll hammer through a page or a couple chapters or whatever it is, like how good the zone is, and I don't ha- I don't look back. Yeah, you so, just get it out there. You just page yeah, that's it out. What, that's what you want to do. But at the same time, when you go back, you see all those red lines. You just hit the button and it changes to the right word. You don't have to learn how to spell it. Oh yeah. Like for me, guarantee is a word I misspell all the time. <laughs> Restaurant for some reason I always get wrong, and then necessarily I just recently finally learned how to spell that properly. But at the same time, you can't beat the convenience of it, because you know the old typewriter days, ding 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 ding, and then ching, slapped it back and forth, and you just go through, and then you have to rewrite. Like I said, it builds up your vocabulary, your grammar, your spelling. It's kind of it's kind of like deadlifting for writing. Yeah. I mean, you don't want to do it. But it's good for you. Yeah, It's it, really good for you. It builds up your skills because you have to pay attention to what you're doing. You have to pay attention to the mechanics, which a lot of writers don't do anymore. That's why you get so many shitty spellers out there. And I imagine, like, too, the way you set up a sentence or, like, 
anything like that because of the hassle of trying to have to fix Change, that yeah, or you, rewrite it is you know you have to really watch what you're doing i think a good um combination between computer and typewriter is freehand writing yeah you write by freehand you can at least erase it unless you're doing it by pen but then you can just scribble it out hopefully but you have have the handwriting for that i do not my handwriting is atrocious <laughs> And I often can't read what I wrote. And that's printing, too. When <laughs> yeah, I fucking actually yeah. write cursive, it's terrible. Because I like writing in notebooks. Yeah. Especially when I'm just on the road. Because I used to write on Google Docs on my phone. Yeah. And that's nice, but there's just something different about writing by hand. You get a better flow, I feel. Because texting, you know, just... And trying to just try to tap it out with your thumbs. Yeah. Other than having, like, a pen or a pencil in your hand. And, and then, just going at the speed of your mind. Yeah, then you have the autocorrect, so you always get, oh, he ducked her so hard. <laughs> Ooh, they're just ducking all night long. That's not what I meant. <laughs> That's not what I meant, and you know it, Samsung. <laughs> you should know by now. Like. Son of a bitch. I do find that the writing by freehand, it just exhausts me, though. Oh, yeah, I get I a imagine. page in and my hand sore, and I was never good at freehand writing. I always hated it. And I know guys like Stephen King, they were... I think maybe Neil Gaiman uh, did it a lot too. Was uh, a lot of longhand writing before he would write anything else. Maybe just get like the basic gist of the story and then mm-hmm. go into the typing. Yeah, and Stephen King's interesting because him and I think um, Dean Koontz both still use old word processors. Or at least I, Dean Koontz does. I yeah. don't know if Stephen King finally because his eyes he might have yeah. finally had to upgrade. I know there for a long time he was like using like a yeah like a processor like yeah. kind of like old typewriter the kind. old black screen with green yeah. font yeah <laughs> they I couldn't imagine you know what I actually can't imagine because my first computer I got my cousin owned a bookstore that was next to my house uh, which was cool growing yeah. up that's kind of where my love of reading came from because I'd go over there and get cheapo books for a nickel or something because she would just. She didn't charge me full price ever. Yeah. But she had an old store system computer, which was just basic, uh, like, I don't know, I guess some kind of inputting stuff. Just the most basic, black, like I said, black screen, green yeah. text. And, well, she ended up giving it to me when she got a new one. So I was writing on there, but there wasn't anywhere to save it. Yeah. So you're just creating stories, and then they just get deleted. Like, I think a, one good part of my childhood was reading and writing. Yeah. Because a lot of people, they don't do that anymore. Nope. That's why, like, I always try to get my, um, one of the main reasons is I always try to get my friends, kids, into, like, the comic book-related stuff is because that's, like, an easy end to get them into reading. See, so even if after they get a little bit older, if they kind of are not into the comic book stuff as much, at least that, that my goal is to have them then to at least have, like, that reading bug. You, yeah. To where they can then go on and read and other stuff as they get older, as it'd be, like, Harry Potter or, or as I would make, like, you know, into the Stephen King stuff or whatever it may be. You built that foundation. Yeah, like, I always like to see that the kids are, re- like, you know, my friend's kids are reading. Because I know for me, being young, I was not a very big reader. I you know it was it was difficult for me to to read when I was uh, whenever I was younger. I didn't get into reading until I was like freshman sophomore into high, like into high school. Like have the kids read. Cause yeah, it, starting it, young is just it's it's almost like learning a second language. It's a lot harder if you start when you're older. Yeah, because I know a lot of people who their New Year's resolutions always I'm gonna read more and they never read more. Mm. Like, for me, I I was lucky enough, like I said, the bookstore next door, and then I feel like we were kind of blessed in the terms of we didn't have 
like computers weren't as popular. There was no cell phones. Yeah, we were like we were at the very in, yeah we're the in between generation. We're at that very end before like the tech the huge technology boom like like so we, books were still a means to yes. get create stories in your head. I feel like nineties had some of the best imagination as far as cartoons, oh, books, yeah. comics. And you just don't see that anymore. I mean, there is a little bit of a resurgence because I've noticed, like, you'll see more around towns and stuff, especially, like, my line of work. I'm always driving around. So I always see those library things, those boxes where people can exchange books for free. Like, that's a cool idea. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've dropped books off in there. I never take a book. I always just drop one off if I have extra books I don't need because I figured, what what the hell? But any kids that get into that, you can't hate on it. yeah. Because, I mean, like, especially, like, how you're talking about, like, with, like, during the 90s, like, with, like, the cartoons and stuff, like, what beats Nickelodeon during the early to mid-90s? Nothing. No. Nothing. Rocker's Modern Life. Yeah, the Angry Beavers. Oh, man, dude, that was one. Stimpy. Even stuff like Aura Monsters and, like, uh, Cat Dog. You had, you had cartoons with adult themes that didn't warp kids minds or anything no because that's what they fear now is kids oh they're so sensitive they can't handle adult you ever watch a kid show now it's mind numbing it it makes you feel stupid you watch it yeah it's like they talk you through every little thing as you said great storytelling there's no great storytelling in cartoons anymore nope like stephen king said when you start like a sentence or a story or whatever it is you want to write it so you start it but it finishes in the reader's imagination yeah Cartoons now don't do that anymore, because I remember using to, like I would used to watch cartoons and I would create stories of what could happen in my head during the commercial break yeah. or things like that. Like, oh, what's gonna happen? Who? Knows? But now there's none of that. Mm-hmm. You watch well, even even in like modern just normal shows nowadays. You very it's very cut and dry. Just like we'll walk through. This is another case of whatever's going on. There's hardly ever any originality or like surprise when it comes to anything. Like how often you watch something, you're like, you know, during the commercial break, you turn to your girlfriend, and you're like, this is what's gonna happen, and that's what happens. Yeah, that's all the time. I mean, it used to be storytelling was more like the Twilight Zone, yeah. things like that. Storytelling, especially you watch old movies, it was all dialogue heavy, and it was about the story getting pushed forward. And that's why we still remake movies and TV shows from 50s, 60s, and 70s. Because we can't think of anything new that is... It's very bizarre because we still have talented writers out there, but their work, they're not getting made into movies or TV shows or anything. What people look for is just the same old shit. Yeah. They just keep rehashing the same things that make them money, and that's all they care about. That's why when you get shows like Black Mirror, it's such a breath of fresh air, and they do so well... Because people are like, oh, hey, there's still original ideas out there that haven't been touched on yet. And, like, crazy off-the-wall, like... Because Black Mirror is, like, this generation's, like, Twilight Zone. Oh, definitely. A technological version of Twilight Zone. It's one of my favorite shows. I mean, I've gotten a lot of ideas... Because all writers steal ideas. Oh, yeah. Or you, get, a, or you get inspired by yeah, something. Well, that's like, what I mean. I mean, you're technically borrowing them, but you turn them into your own. Because everything's been done for that the or most like part. Ha- that or how many times you see, like, you know, you watch an episode or something, and, like, it could be, like, a, a small part of that episode, but whatever that is, it's, like, they, they totally just leave behind, and you're like, oh, what about if they took that and went this way with that? 
And instead of going that way, they you just did change this. it up, yeah. And like you know, next thing you know, you got your new short, your next short story, or or something like you know. Or, or well, like that's a, why I always think it's it's fucking asinine when you get people that scoff. Oh, I don't ever watch TV. It's like, well, what do you do exactly? Well, I don't watch TV. I don't watch movies. I or even the people that oh, I just read books. Well, that's cool and all, but I get a lot of great ideas. I mean, I don't watch a lot of TV. But I've gotten a lot of great ideas just from different TV shows. Or I mean, who hasn't been inspired to come up with a cool monster story from X Files? Right, like, or um, I mean, Twilight Zone's a great example. Like you said, Black Mirror. There's so many st- stories to be told, but you could take stories that have been told already and make them your own. Because, um, and I can't remember what they were, but don't they say there's only like seven basic stories you can tell? Yeah, something anyway, like pretty like much. That. I like uh, we do have no reason you know we kind of do this off the cuff so there's like no I can't remember what those exactly are I'm sure you can find those you well, know you if you're always interested. have your like your comedies your romance yeah but you always have your classic hero adventure yep your uh, the hero's journey you have your anti-heroes I mean and then everything that you have your romance and the basic love shit pretty much everything Shakespeare's ever done yeah he's yeah. pretty he's pretty yeah. much created him and uh He's created, like, every pretty much storytelling device. And then, like, Don Quixote was, I think, the first real novel that had, like, the hero's journey. I, mean, I never read Don Quixote, but that's one of the most nope. popular and first novels ever written. But just between those two... Really uh, digging your drink over there. Uh, you can't... That's my problem. You, I think you're going to need another, <laughs> j- another glass, sir. <laughs> The alcoholic problem. Yeah, just fill up the tulip glass to the top. <laughs> All the way. Let me tell you something, you piece of shit. Writing, if you ain't writing, you ain't cool. And if you ain't cool, you can go suck a bag of dicks. Uh, My mom doesn't like when I tell her that. Just like a bag of dicks? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I could see that. Finds that offensive. Is that like how if you ever like text her, is that just how you end every text? Just like, eh, hey, suck a bag of dicks. Yeah, I love you, Mom. I hope you have a good week. I'll suck a bag of dicks. Why do you keep telling your mom to suck a bag of dicks? Well, how the fuck do you think I came about? <laughs> Clearly, she's making good decisions. Well, and we, we discussed my intro to writing and why... I don't know if we discussed why I want to be a writer. Before we get to that, what about you? Um, As I stated a little bit earlier, like I had a hard time reading it as a child, so... I didn't get into it later until I started to get into the comic books. And then, so I got really heavy into that. And then, like, I've always been, like, a Stephen King fan, but never read any of his actual work. Just, like, the movies and stuff yeah, and just, on his work. Yeah, and just kind of like the, the dude, like, and, you know, and all the stuff that, like, he, you know, stuff he always talked about and kind of what he stood for. And then, um, while I was still in high school, Marvel started to adapt his Doc Tower series into different miniseries. So I was like, well, if I'm going to check these out, I should probably read the source material from it. And so that's how I got started. And uh, I probably like, you started with the Dark Tower. Yeah, probably the worst way to get into Stephen King's work is to just start at the Dark Towers and then with read his giant sprawling epic, <laughs> and then just read everything else that ties into it. Because like a lot of his work have like some has bigger influences into it, some have little. But like you know, you 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 see it like as you read, you're like, oh, that kind of 
ties into that or mm-hmm. you know that character was there and stuff like that so i kind of did it ass backwards but you know that's that's how i do things most of the time well that's like i you know over last year i've been reading a lot of japanese novels i got into the work of haruki murakami and i think the first novel of his i read was 1q84 which is technically three books in one yeah I remember. And it's the most gigantic novel that i think he's written <laughs> and then i've read and i really liked it but after that i read that is not the introductory novel to <laughs> you want to get into it's like one of the last ones you should read save that to the end yeah so i always do the same thing i always read like the hardest the, the like the most difficult work of an author like james joyce i remember like one of the first ones i tried to get into was finnegan's wake and then I realized it was unreadable. <laughs> so I haven't read any... I tried Ulysses... Or not Ulysses. Doublingers, too. And I was just I can't understand what's happening. And you're so good for just diving headfirst into, like, huge collections like H.P. Lovecraft. Yeah. And, like, Aram Poe and, and, like, all that classic literature. I, I haven't usually really read when, much of that. Usually when I read an author's work or I get into an author, I'll read a collection of their work. So like the H.P. Lovecraft, I, I read so many of his stories at once, and my head started to melt because it was just too much. <laughs> so much Cthulhu. <laughs> oh, man, it was the whole mythos. Yeah, that's what always happens to me. Like, recently I got into John Steinbeck, so I started reading... I just ordered a short story, or a short novel collection he has, too, but I read three of his novels already. I think there's like five short ones or something that's in the collection. But I find usually that's a good way to go about it, is you can read a whole author's work or... Like, at least their main one. Yeah. And then you can move on to the next one. Switch back and forth. Because so, sometimes whenever you do steady read, like, the same author mm-hmm. and stuff like that, sometimes it, it d- does get, like, not, I don't want to say stale, but, like, you're just, sometimes you need that switch up. Yeah, you can't and have And you the read same something, style. something else for a little bit, and then you can come back, and then you can really appreciate it again. Well, like Steinbeck, he's more of a simplistic writer, so... Sounds like my kind of writer. Yeah, you'd really like his work. But when you get into his work, like I read um, Grapes of Wrath, Mice and Men, and then East of Eden. And East of Eden's a pretty long book. It's like 600 pages or something. But what ends up happening is you kind of, like you said, you get a little burnout on them. So I started, I went and read The Great Gatsby, which I somehow I missed. I never read that in school for some reason. And then I'm Because you went to the, because of the schools that you went to. <laughs> they're not giving you that to read, like. Yeah, we, I don't remember reading books too much in school. We read The Red Badge of Courage and, uh, fuck, I don't even remember what else. You, you know what I remember most Red from. Red Fern. Remember what I, what I remember most from schools are packets, work packets. Pack, yeah. Yeah, I remember reading The Red, Where the Red Fern Grows and doing a work packet on it and I hated it. Well, that's the problem. Public schools make kids hate reading. Oh, yeah. Let alone writing. Well, because, like, I remember whenever I was in high school, we read, um, in English class, we read this really shitty watered-down version of Beowulf to oh. the point to where I went to the bookstore. To get the real one? And kind of, like, you know, and with that kind of stuff, it's kind of difficult because there's so many different, like, translations mm-hmm. and, and things like that, but I tried to find the best of, to so I could actually read the actual story which you know was way better than what they gave us in in school to read oh yeah the schools ruin any kind of even if it is a good book they'll make it so you dislike it because they'll they break it down you have to write your report on it and all that stupid shit but it's always like the teacher one it's the teacher's opinion of the book you yeah so that's kind of biased as it goes so if they hate they don't like the book but they it's in their curriculum they have to teach it every year 
then they're gonna it's gonna be a miserable experience for the or, person reading it. Or if they're just a shitty teacher, which is they don't know what they're talking about for the most part, or don't even really care. In my whole career, from kindergarten through high school, I had one good teacher, and he quit halfway through my <laughs> semester. It was the English teacher, and I was like, "What the fuck?" He's the only one that actually cared about kids learning. He made work fun. And then he, he fucking he got a job somewhere better, of course. Oh yeah, that, that's well, how it goes around. Well, that's here. like uh, the what we're talking about the school. Like most of my classes, like each year I'd have like four or five art classes, and if those classes that I didn't have, whenever I went to like uh, I had like a shitty social studies class where like uh, during my senior year we got we actually had a decent uh, like a um, teacher for history. Um, he went like halfway through, he got a job being a principal down at the middle school. And then we got this shitty like sub teacher who literally we just watched movies in her class all day. And then so I'd just be like, I would just lie and be like, hey, my art teacher needs me to come down to work on this project. Is that okay? And she'd be like, yeah, sure, that's fine. And I walk in and my art teacher's like, what are you doing here? I was like, I just, I just don't want to be in my class right <laughs> now. Like, but all right, all right. Which, Brings me back to like so not being reading a lot. I never dreamt of trying to do any kind of writing whatsoever. Mm-hmm. My my main focus was like I'll oh, work on my art skills. Uh, you know, try to be like a comic book artist or or something. Use 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 that skill set for something. And so as I met Caleb later on in years for work, just at work and. He started to try to get into the writing again. He'd asked if I'd try to do some artwork for some of the stories he was working on. So I'd do that. And as the website came into fruition, he was just like, hey, do you just want to try taking a crack at writing some stories? Well, and that's stuff what like- I always tell people. <laughs> just give it a try. Yeah. Even if you don't think you'd be good at it, just try it out and see how you get. Like you, you ended up doing a whole short story. Um a serial story yeah. within what a couple months of Some, starting yeah and what that thing's close to what like a couple thousand couple thousand words wasn't it uh, it was these, like ten thousand so, words something it, it, it was, was a couple thousand words per yeah entry yeah so like never would have thought that i would have ever read anything that long to now what we look at the website and what we each have over like a hundred different submissions on there and, and well, things we've like published that published individually like Probably close to 200 each, which, I mean, we still do personal writing, too, outside of the website. So, like, for me, a lot of times I'll do a flash fiction piece, like, the the night before we have the day scheduled, which is usually Friday. So, I'll write something before just to get it out there. And it's great at writing exercise. I oh, love yeah. doing it. And, um, like, the one thing you can't beat with the website is it keeps you accountable. Oh, yeah. Which is kind of what I was hoping the podcast would do, too, is we come up with different story ideas and stuff. It'll make you want when you have readers interested in what you're writing, you want to keep doing it. Especially considering how we was, we've was we been able to carve out a nice little niche of followers pretty quickly. Yeah. Like, like a lot quicker than what I thought we, we, we would have. So, like, as you said, like, you have now you have these people who not are only reading them, but then also... Will like give leave us feedback give us feedback either on the website or whenever we post that on on, uh, on social media of how they like the story or didn't like the story and yeah. stuff like that. So it, it does kind of also motivate you in like to do more 
and to be like uh, now people are actually reading this i should probably actually try to get get some stuff done like you know yeah it just makes you want to work harder i mean what people don't know is we were working on coming up with comics and different things way prior to coming up with the website but we were still learning how to write yeah I mean, we were learning Which is something we, we still kind of want to try to later on take a crack at right. just to, as a check it off of the, the box to do. Like our shitty education system, I think, I don't remember anything from English class. I had to pretty much teach myself, because when I was growing up and I would write stuff, I would just write stuff almost emulating what I read. Yeah. It wasn't, so I didn't know the writing mechanics too much. And I had to teach myself all that over. Then I, you know, what really helped me was all the freelance work I did. Yeah. Because I had editors that showed me proper ways to do things. And, and that was actually very beneficial, even though the writing was kind of boring and the, the pay wasn't very yeah, good. How long did you do those fitness articles for? A couple years. Yeah, you did those for a while. I, yeah, I mean, I did the one website I wrote for... Now, it might have been close to two years for that website. And then I did the other one, which is a more professional site. Which also, that's how I end up creating this website, because I never learned how to any kind of website creation in school or anything. So when it came to wanting to start this, I used the knowledge I learned from how the fitness site I was working on was set up. Like when we use Trello and all that stuff, and how to get people to follow you and read all that stuff. Like especially the social media stuff too. We kind of winged it all, but at least I had that knowledge set from previous work. Anyway, one of the things, though, I always try to get people to try their hand at writing. I mean, I do it through Twitter when I talk to people and when I meet people. Like, when we get submissions, um, like when we talk to a lot of comic book creators, even like the artists and stuff or the short stories or whatever we get when people, especially when we have our contests and stuff, I always tell people, you know, why don't you try your hand at flash fiction? Why don't you do this and try that? And um, Even if you're not looking to try to make a career or anything out of it, it's just a good stress reliever and just to get either... Because you can write a story about the asshole at work or just whatever you're feeling about, you know. It's just a good way to kind of just get some of that out of you so you're not dealing with it anymore. Yeah, you're not holding it in. Well, that's one thing a lot of writers or uh, aspiring writers seem to have a problem with is they think you you're either Stephen King or you're nothing. Yeah. Like you have to find a way to become super successful and have crazy amount of readers and be real popular or it's for nothing. Yeah. And that's the worst way to get into writing. You should not get into writing because you want to make money or I mean sure that's a factor cuz like yeah. I don't know about you but for me I would my dream job would be to be a writer. Yeah, a just paid, be, live off of writing. Yeah, that would be nice. That would be really nice. And not like a journalist or a newspaper cuz I thought about working like for a magazine or something or even more freelance work but it's just it becomes a job. And when yeah. writing becomes a job it's not enjoyable. Nope. When you get paid for fiction and it's your creative endeavor even if you're not making a lot of money it's more satisfying than Working a job that you make a lot of money, but you just hate it. And I mean, like, and how many people do we meet at conventions who have, like us, uh, just kind of cut up their, like, this kind of core audience of people and, like, granted, they might not be selling, like, 20, 20 or 30 issues on, like, any consistent basis, but, like, a lot of them are doing it enough and having enough product go out to where... They can do that as the living. 
like you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. They're not working like the job, like how we're working like, the forty-hour job week and then trying to get this stuff done. Well, that's what a lot of people don't see when it comes to our work, particular is, and this is most writers, oh or yeah, fine writers, oh we yeah, work full-time jobs. It's not like we're just dicking around and you know maybe work sixteen hours a week or something and have all this free time. No, we work full-time jobs and then come home and the writing's the extra stuff. And that's the biggest trick of all is turning when you want to become a professional writer is that middle part yeah. where you're still working and you have to work to make the money, but you also have to double up on the writing. Well, I think you'd be surprised like if you looked into it, how many professional, quote-unquote, professional writers still work still have job. some kind of full-time job because you figure... The publishing industry doesn't pay a lot. And then, too, you know, you got you got insurance, so you got to take care of yourself or your family mm-hmm. members and stuff like that. So it's just like that's one of the most difficult parts about the whole writing thing. That's another thing a lot of writers, they it's almost like a myth. It's I'll catch that big break and then I'll get rich. Yeah. It doesn't work like that. I mean, Stephen King worked how long? And then he was a teacher, a janitor. He was all these different things before he caught his supposed big break with Carrie. Yeah. And, and even after that, like I think in like a good like five or six books into his that he was still teaching. Like, well, I yeah, because he wasn't, I mean, he made good money from, like, Carrie, but it takes a while, and where the money comes from, people don't understand, it's, even if you got $10,000 for, uh, like, an advance, ten to 15000 which is good for a new writer. Yeah. If you got I'll that, take you, it. yeah, you think, oh, hell yeah, big fucking payday. Not really. Say you write a full novel in 10 months, spend another six months editing it. And then shopping it. And then you have to shop it. You fi- you're looking at two to three years for this novel, and that's assuming you have an agent, and you find a publication that will accept your work, and then when you send it to the publisher, they have an editor that will go through, and then you have to do get to rewrite another revision. And whatever else they want done with it. So by the time the book comes out, sure, you made ten fifteen thousand dollars $15,000 on an advance, and whatever amount of royalties you might get and stuff is fine, but again, if you're getting paid in royalties... Which is usually a shit, yeah, a shit royalties compared to what the publisher makes. You're also getting fucked because you have to do all the marketing. Yeah, and that's big name publishers. You catch that supposed break with one of the big five publishers. You're doing all the marketing on your own book. Yeah. Like, so. And that's just going to be super tough as while well, you're still trying to break in, like. Yeah, and you're working a full time job still, and then I, now you have to do. Assuming you want to write another mm-hmm. book. Like I hate that we always use them as a as an example but like say with like Stephen King he can throw out one tweet saying in like how in four months I got a new book coming out and that thing's already pre-sold yeah thousands of copies like but he's been doing it since like the 70s it's been forever and like you know he has a body of work over like 60 books by now like well where the money lies too like Stephen King technically I mean, he's a best-selling author, so he gets a lot of money from that. But still, I think a lot of money came from, from movie movies. Yeah, yeah, I think that that helped out a lot. Is you all sell the movie rights, and that's where you get the money, and <clears throat> and then also if you have a series, like well, obviously Harry Potter was a popular series before it came movie became a movie series. But that man, that those movies made all the money. Mm-hmm. But Jake and K. then Rock, sold more books. Yeah, made it so like you know the books that was jumped up because of the movies too like that's what that's exactly what helps like the martian yeah i read the martian 
when I found out it was becoming a movie. Yep. And I was like, that looks good. And I read the reviews. And I was like, I want to fucking read this. And, and then, it was an awesome book. And then you told me. I checked it out. Yeah. That's thought it was awesome. But you and know how Andy Weir wrote The Martian? He wrote it on a website he created, kind of like what we do with the uh, installments when we do a series, or like a serial series. That's what he did. He wrote it in installments, and people gave him feedback, and then it was popular enough that he ended up selling it, but he was like a scientist or something. To start. Yeah. Like, he didn't, that wasn't his job. He wasn't, didn't really necessarily want to be a writer. That was his hobby. But like J.K. Rowling, she was dirt poor. Yeah. I think she got rejected like 150 times or something. Oh, yeah. And it was like a fluke like thing that got her to get published because some guys, he actually let his kid read the book. Uh. No one else did that. He let the kid read the manuscript, and the kid loved it, and that's how Harry Potter came to be. Makes sense. I mean... But obviously, she I think she was a school teacher too or something. Well, I mean, like, if you go to, like, the, the backstory of, like, any of the great writers, how many of it is just, like, them just, like... Like, I remember Stephen King, like, and I think it was on his, on How to Write, he talked about, like, how he just had, like, this clipboard full of rejection, rejection. letters that he just kept he there. He said he, he had to he get pinned a new them nail. On, he, like, he nailed them onto the wall. And he had to get a new nail because they <laughs> stacked out so far, it ripped the nail out. Yeah, it's to, to, to kept them there as he wrote, to, you know, as motivation and try to get it done, like. Well, so many writers think they're going to be on E.L. E.L. James with the like the Fifty Shades of Grey. That's a fluke. Yeah, she's an outlier. That doesn't happen very often. I mean, you even go back in time. Look at the like Ernest Hemingway. I think he was a a journalist at some point before, and he went to the war and World War One and different things like that. And uh, he was an ambulance driver in World War One, and he got injured, and that's what gave him the ideas for his stories. But it was all about experience for him before he ever yeah. wrote anything. Like F. Scott Fitzgerald, <laughs> he's one of the most famous writers in history, and I'm pretty sure he wasn't doing very well when he started. He uh, he didn't even have any confidence in his own writing. Better like I'm sure like there's still like because wasn't a uh, Poe. Nobody really liked his stuff after he was dead, right? Well, or till he was close to he being was dead. Like the first famous writer. After the Raven came out, yeah. But before that, I think he worked for newspapers and whatnot. But he was the first writer in American history that made a living from writing. Oh, really? I believe so. Oh, I did not know that. And yeah. Then you, I think you had like your Mark Twain's and Charles Dickens and stuff. But as far as writing and then just becoming instant success, that just doesn't happen. No. And but so many writers I talk to, I see them shopping or even like on Twitter. I see him posting different things for their work and stuff, and I try to share whenever I see somebody's work that is good and I feel people should read, but they get so defensive if you critique their work or yeah. try to give them ideas on how to make things better because they feel like they should just... It's like the sense of entitlement. Yeah. I don't know when this started, but it's definitely in the last 20 years I've noticed. One, people think they should get books for free. Yeah. They think they shouldn't have to pay for writing. Two, writers think they should get paid ridiculous sums of money before they're proven. And you combine that together. So you, <laughs> I mean, how are you getting the money to pay these writers yeah. if nobody wants to buy the work anyway? And then these writers who've never had anything published think they should come out as a best-selling author. It's just, there, there's something missing there. People don't want to do the work first. No. They don't want to put in the time. They don't want to do the grind. They don't want to work the full-time job. 
and then write on the side and build it up. They don't want to do any. They just want to skip straight to instant, yeah. instant success. Because like, as, as we talked before, or if you have happened to read anything from the website we've mentioned a couple of times, if you want to try to make a go at writing for real, it is that second job. You, that's the kind of time and effort you have to put into it, you know. A 40-hour work week turns into an 80-hour work week if you're serious with writing. Yeah. And that's, I mean, it sounds awful when you put it that way. Because people don't, who wants to work 80? And then you have kids on top of that or a family. If you just want to, like, eat or sleep even. <laughs> like. But you have to be willing to put in that work if you really want to make it. Yeah. And too many people don't want to put in the work. They just want to make it without that. And that's where the real. That's why there's so many aspiring writers, but not that many professional writers. Yep. And what I feel has been a real detriment to the writing community. It's great in the sense that like self-publishing. It's great in the sense that you can get your work out, especially if you already built your own audience. But for people that don't have that audience built up, I think it's terrible because yeah, it's a real crapshoot because you don't know who's yeah, gonna. I know so many people it. who spent the money. I mean, it's cheap, but it's not that cheap. No. If you do it well, because you want to get a professional cover, you still want to get it professionally edited. You're yeah. looking at a minimum $1,500 to do this. Yeah. And you do the print-on-demand, and then you have people who print this out with no audience, and they don't sell anything, and then you they, just get they stuck give up. With, you get stuck with boxes in your, in your garage or attic for who knows how long. Yeah. You can make forts out of them. Well, how many people have we seen at Comic-Cons who will put in the work as far as going to every Comic-Con, traveling around, paying for this and that, but they their work is garbage. Yeah, I always, like, whenever it comes to, like, our articles or even, like, the short stories that I write, like, I'm always for, like, if you have a question about something or, or a critique... Let us know. Yeah, I mean, I might not always take it to heart, but I'm always interested in to hear what it is. Like, because sometimes you may have a valid point, sometimes you might not, but I'm always interested to at least hear what it is. Well, I always feel to truly reach your potential and talent as a writer, you have to put your ego aside. Yeah. You can't have an ego and also be an amazing writer, unless you're Shakespeare or something. Like, there's there's only certain levels of writer who are just great, no yeah. matter what. Just right out the chute. Like. Yeah, and that's, I mean, they're those are geniuses. Yeah. And even then, a lot of those people have problems, mm. and you try to give them a critique because you know how many uh, like Alan Moore is a good example, like that uh, Jerusalem book he wrote. I haven't read it yet, but it's sprawling and super long. And the main complaint is it can be because I think it's like what is it, three thousand words or something crazy. The main complaint for that book is it could be a 500-word awesome novel yeah. that he just spread out because his ego... What did somebody say? He looted the thesaurus? Like he just that, went through finding every word. That sounds like Alan Moore. Yeah. If you don't know if you don't know the guy, and, that sounds like him. And, you, and I've read samples of it, and you can just tell that the editor, whoever his editor was... Just didn't want to get into his way. Well, they probably said, hey, how, you know, here's changes, and he just said... Go fuck yourself. Yeah. Sell it or don't sell it. I'm a it. warlock. Yeah. I do what I want. I'm Alan Moore. I have name recognition. This is my masterpiece. And you know what? A lot of people say it's really suffers because of that. Which that whole warlock thing? Again, if you don't know, Google Alan Moore. He's supposedly a chain wizard. Warlock. Yeah, he's a wizard or a warlock, however you want to phrase it. Yeah, he's for Guy's real a little magic. weird. Yeah. yeah, he's very strange. Smart as fuck, but he is very strange. That's how it normally goes. But anyway, 
So we were saying, you can't have an ego to be a great writer. It just it doesn't go hand in hand. Especially, if you, especially if you're still on the trying out stage. Well, like. that's the main problem is you get new writers who have that ego before they've proven themselves at okay. all. If you get a guy like Stephen King, he can say, you know, I'm the greatest horror writer of all time. And, I mean, you could try to challenge him on it, but at the same time, the numbers are there. Yeah. But if he starts believing, oh, I'm the greatest horror writer of all time, I could just phone it in from now on, people aren't going to buy his work anymore. Yeah, no, it's just going to get bad. Yeah, your quality goes down. You can't have that. When you stop taking criticism, when people critique you, and you take it as personal attacks, you're not going to get anywhere. Like you said, you don't have to take all critiques as you don't have to take them all to heart and go oh, i gotta change this i gotta do that because some people just don't like certain writing styles that's yeah. fine yeah i mean yeah i've read the work of writers where the work was awesome but i just didn't like it you can't you can't please everybody and that's fine but you don't like the the only thing that i would say about bad critiques and good critiques is that you can give somebody advice on something and if they take it and change they might get better but you can also be one of those assholes who just goes oh you suck you use yeah like, you know just pretty much like personal attack and just shit on them and that just that does nobody any yeah that doesn't help anybody that's why you get so many writers who don't read their reviews at all yeah and you know honestly i don't believe like i don't blame them because if i was if i had a novel come out that i really loved i put my heart and soul into and then i started reading the reviews and you have some good reviews but then you also have some who are just oh this guy's a hack he sucks everything he wrote is garbage because he believes in whatever the theme was mm. and like, it's like did you even read it like that's the that's the worst i that's the worst when you get somebody complaining about something who doesn't read it watch it whatever it is that they're my complaining favorite about is, like when i saw uh like when that get up get out movie came out that movie i watched it and i really liked it but people thought it was just uh, like a black power shit on white people movie. Yeah. And people did not watch the movie. And I would see so many times people commented, I didn't watch this movie and I'm not going to because. And then they go into this big critique. You can't criticize something you didn't watch. Yeah. That's like me saying, oh, I'm not going to go see Black Panther because that's probably just all about black power and shitty and it's not going to represent my ideas. Or like, How the fuck would I know? Yeah, if you didn't see it. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I don't believe that stuff anyway, but there are a lot of people out there who have these preconceived notions on something without seeing it, like Wonder Woman. Yeah. How many people shit on that movie because it starred a woman and it was about, like, um, there was a lot of anti-feminist people that were hating on it and didn't see it. Yeah. Or the ones that saw it gave it a way lower ranking than what it was just because... Because it was a woman. It yeah. was a woman lead. And, I mean, that goes both ways, too. How many times you see people... Um, like they had that Gods of Egypt movie come out, oh. and I heard that was terrible. I didn't see it. But I, I haven't either, but I have nothing but <laughs> terribleness on yeah, it. Yeah, it looked terrible from <laughs> just my opinion <laughs> from the trailer. But when people, when that came out, there was all the whitewashing stuff. Well, why are all the Egyptians white? Which I agree with. Why yeah. would Egyptians be white? That's stupid. But people didn't see the movie yeah. and still complained. You can't complain on something if you didn't see the movie. Like, people who complain about, you know, we have elections, and people complain about the results of the elections when they didn't vote. That doesn't make sense. You, if yeah. you didn't contribute anything, if you weren't a part of it, you're kind of on the sideline. And that's what goes with writing. If you ha- if you, somebody writes something and you didn't read it, you have no right to go in there and say, well, this sucks because so-and-so-and-so. It just it doesn't work. Well, I think we covered pretty much everything when it comes to why we write and why you should write. 
Um, like I said, this is our first episode, so future episodes are going to be, I mean, we'll do our writing tip episodes, we're going to have different subjects, what we really want to do is brainstorming sessions, so when we come up with stories, we'd love to be able to go over them on the podcast and have the listeners chime in. Yeah. So, or, if there, or even if there's like, um, if there's something you think we should talk about, you should oh, shoot yeah. us like an email or a comment on something and, and let us know because... We're always looking for ideas for stuff. It makes it a lot easier for us. Oh, definitely. And what we think you guys are going to like, we have planned random bullshit episodes, which is just us talking and, you know, just talking shit and whatever. I'm sure there'll be some writing things of comp thrown into there, oh, but yeah. it's going to be a lot of just... And if you guys think, well, you're drunk in pen writing, you, you talked about Scotch briefly, but we're going to have drunk cast episodes, mm-hmm. and possibly every month or every week, we haven't decided. It depends <laughs> how... How much our liver can handle, but we're gonna have episodes strictly dedicated to us getting drunk and, and just blitzed and, and talking talk. about stupid shit. So it'd be like the bullshit episodes, just drunk and nonsense. Drunken bullshit episodes. That that'd be a good title for the podcast. It's it's, it's kind of like going oh. Super Saiyan too. It's like I get that little extra. Yeah. Like maybe we should change the name to the Drunken Bullshit Society. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well. I think we covered pretty much everything, so what we'll leave you guys with is one of our, I think it was, it might have, if it wasn't the first piece I wrote for the site, it was one of the first ones, and it was entitled Why We Write, which inspired this first episode, so I will end with a reading on that, and until next time, keep on writing, we'll keep on reading. Have a good one. Can one fall in love with the act of writing, that magical feeling of getting lost in one's own thoughts? If not love, then it's surely madness. Those can be the only two explanations for what possesses a writer to sit, hunched over, for hours on end until their whole body is stiff and numb, their souls drained and hearts aching. This is especially true for the unknown writer, the writer who writes for no one, the writer who writes so their mind can rest, even if it's just for a moment without the barrage of ideas eating away at it, wrecking its ability to focus on any single task other than the story. Can this really be love? It seems more like an obsession. Sometimes telling the difference between the two is impossible. Most writers hate everything they put to the page, hating their own thoughts as it were. But does love not exist without hate? Perhaps it's the want, the absolute need to create that drives the writer. They need to write or they are finished laid bare for all to see. Is this how one could hate writing while being so dependent on it? Certainly one could not be expected to sit and write if they did not enjoy anything about it. But if this is true, why are many writers so completely tortured? Or is it writing the only thing keeping them hanging on to that tiny piece of rope, the rope hanging from the edge of utter despair? Much like the writers themselves, the answers are varied and reclusive. One could dig and dig for a thousand years, but the true answers would never be unearthed. One could write for love, or for fortune, or fame, or respect, or any number of reasons, but the most important thing in the world is that they write, that they put their obsession to paper, for this is the only real way to free the writer's mind, if only for a moment.